You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Jay Powell today at the IMF. When is the Fed going to taper? More importantly, when the easy inflation comps are over, what then? And what does that mean for stocks? To break that down, I have Peter Bookvar, CIO of Bleakley Advisory Group and editor of the Book Report. Peter, always a pleasure to talk to you. You know, I, I was just telling you before you came on how pumped up I am. I'm like a viewer in that every uh, two weeks I get the chance to talk to you, pick your brain. And so I'm really interested in, in what you have to say. Uh, yeah, I enjoy your conversations. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, let me tell you that one of the reasons I want to pick your brain is, as I read uh, your newsletter, the book report, I don't know uh, how familiar other people are with that and where uh, maybe you can give a little plug as to where they can find that. Uh, the website's uh, B-O-O-C-K report, so apply my last name. Uh, some people can trial it. Uh, they can subscribe uh, and just hear my uh, read my daily missives on the it, macro uh, economy and uh, markets. Yeah, and so, you know, uh, I think they're great because, you know, you talk about the numbers, what's happening in the economy uh, relatively unfiltered, I would say. So, you know, today, the, the number that I was looking at that I wanted to pick your brain on was the, the jobless claims number. And, and as you know, this particular period, uh, this particular recession, uh, we've had numbers that actually in aggregate, you know, every week, week after week, almost every single week, except one, maybe two weeks recently, have been higher than the highest number ever in this entire series going back to 1967. So we went down uh, last week below that, th that, that level. And here we are back again at 744,000, uh, which was much more than expected. Uh, what are you thinking about these numbers? I mean, why is it that we're still at 744,000 initial claims now a year into this? And what does it mean for the economy going forward? Well, it is a little confounding because you have to look at, so that's obviously measuring the pace of firings and then obviously uh, the continuing stuff uh, for how long people are, are receiving them. What, what, what is, what's difficult to, to sort of square up is that, now this is somewhat dated, but we got uh, a couple of days ago the job openings number for February. Now, of course, claims is, is you know, through the uh, last week, uh, but through February, we're up to 7.4 million job openings. And not only is that above where we were in February 2020, but you have to go back to 2019, the last time we had that many job openings. So how do you square that many job openings with still very high level of, of firings? Now, I can better explain why the number of people receiving continuing claims is still very high between regular continuing claims, which in its reporting is delayed by a week, and then those still receiving continually uh, pandemic uh, assistance and the emergency assistance. If you add up those three, you're talking about 17 million people that are still receiving benefits of some sort. 
for context, in January, in the heart of the winter, uh, it was about 16.4. So here we are with the vaccines getting rolled out, with job openings very high, you still have a very high level of those still receiving continuing claims. And you just have to ask the question is whether the enhanced unemployment benefits and the added $300 a week uh, is causing an issue. And I directly know that it is. Uh, I was on the phone earlier today with a friend who runs a, uh, a local swim school that um, I'm involved in uh, and have invested in, where he's complaining to me about the difficulty of finding people. Now, he's hiring kids in high school, uh, kids in college, and uh, and 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 in in their young early twenties, and he's having difficulty finding people more so now than when the unemployment rate was at three and a half percent pre-COVID. And you just have to wonder if it is because of the competition with those benefits. And, you know, in one year I hear, well, people don't respond to that. They want to go back to work. Yeah, many people do. But for others, uh, if it means waiting till September, because that's when these benefits go until, maybe they will. Or maybe they'll just take their time in finding work or they just feel less urgency. But it is going to be a, a, a factor in how quickly businesses can ramp up if they can't find the people. And no question, there's also skills mismatch between the job openings and the uh, pool of available labor. Uh, there's also, of course, the issue with kids that are still at home for school where you need one parent to be home. So there are other factors here. But uh, th this, is, this is a growing issue uh, and, and I think a problem. And that's why I think the participation rate is going to remain low even with this recovery. And it's why I think that wages are going to surprise to the upside because companies are going to have to pay more to entice these people uh, or some people uh, to come back to work. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point in terms of the inflationary impacts uh, or at least the uh, the positive impacts, you will, if you will, for uh, for earnings. You know, when you mentioned September as a time frame, the first thing that came to mind for me, honestly, was uh, they're waiting until you know, the majority of people are vaccinated. And the reason I'm thinking that is, you know, I got the uh, first shot of the Pfizer vaccine today. Uh, really, you know, the, the the vaccination in America is going so well now that it's just a matter of time before we open up without any uh, real concerns about spikes in, um, in coronavirus cases. And so at that point, we're going to see whether or not uh, you know, what the economy looks like. You know, when I think about these numbers, I think to a certain degree that even once we open up, there's going to be some residual change, you know, uh, in terms of small businesses, in terms of uh, places that you have close contacts like restaurants, travel, et cetera. And perhaps some of the uh, jobless claims are associated with this change that we're going through, that we're still churning through, trying to figure out what the new normal is. I, I agree. Uh, a lot of people that were hired or, or employed pre-COVID in leisure and hospitality, well, they found other work. Uh, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago, and they talked about uh, concerts that are trying to uh, restock their employees for you know, hopefully late summer into the fall and hiring roadies and, 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 and stage people and, and so on. Well, when you shut down the concert business, a lot of these people found other work and they're staying in that other work and they're not coming back. So they're having difficulty finding people. So there's no question that there's going to be friction here 
in, in, in sort of normalizing, uh, both in terms of businesses coming back because there are many in that, in that uh, sector that are not going to come back, unfortunately, but also bringing back your same people. And, and, and you're not going to bring back all of your same people. You're going to have to bring back some of them and, and find the others elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, um, before we transition to the market side of things today, I want to say that I was looking at uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, what he had to say. Uh, a lot of people are talking about this, that the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase came out saying, hey, you know, not only I'm not talking about how long this uh, this economy is going to be in a recovery and an up cycle, but the boom portion of this economy, that is, you know, this pent up demand portion where we have really high GDP growth is going to last potentially uh, through 2022. So he's talking about boom times for another year and a half uh, going forward. First of all, do you think that that's actually true? And if so, what does that mean? Well, I'm confident that we'll have a boom in the next three quarters. I think the problem with analyzing 2022 is, is that a lot of the fiscal spending that has occurred expires this year. There, there's not that same ramp up. Now, there's the hope that you pass the baton onto the private sector and you hire a lot of people back and, and the economy sort of runs on its own. But there is a fiscal hangover that takes place next year. And, and we'll see to what extent uh, that how impactful that is. Also, you're not just going to get a boom in interest rates, even notwithstanding this rise, are just going to still sit there. We're going to see, I believe, another leg higher in interest rates. I think come late summer into the fall, you're going to start hearing the Fed talking about tapering. You even heard from a few European Central Bank members this week that talked about the possibility of them tapering in the fall. So imagine the interest rate scenario around the world if the Fed and the ECB are contemplating or even following through on tapering. And then you get a fiscal cliff next year. I, I think it's way too early to think that the boom will continue in 2023 uh, if you see uh, those happening, because that means higher interest rates, a taper, lower uh, stock prices, uh, fiscal cliff next year, which we'll see how that sort of reverses the rising rates. But um, uh, I'm not comfortable going out that far. I'm comfortable saying the next three quarters uh, will be very good and, and not looking past that. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about rates being a big key toggle there, I, I would agree with you. Uh, and, you know, that's how I'm thinking about things right now. Maybe that's my bias, but... Uh, I think that really nothing's going on right now in the market. So that's that's how I would put it in terms of, you know, we had this huge run up in interest rates, uh, the worst quarter uh, since 1980 for Treasury bonds. But then when you look at today, uh, we've sort of slid back from the 175 level. I think if I look at uh, the 10 year U.S. Treasury, it's trading actually below 163. It's at 162.3 on my screen. And, you know, that's very positive for 
technology stocks, stocks that have you know DCFs with the the terminal value very important. You look at the Nasdaq up one percent, S and P up less, the Dow up even less. Is that a, a, the sort of what are the dynamics that are underneath all of that? How how are rates affecting not just the economy and bonds, but also equities? Well, we, we we've had this just very rotational type market. It's been buy tech, sell everything else, like in 2020, and then it was sell tech, buy everything else uh, for a large part of this year. And then you know you tell me where the 10 year is in the morning, I'll tell you where the Nasdaq futures are going to be. Uh, and 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 vice versa with the with the S and P or the Russell, so it's just this constant rotation. But with respect to rates, I mean, we've gone from 90 basis points to 175, 177, and have backed off to 162. You know, you, you, we we still have we've, we, the market still has essentially raised interest rates three times this year, three quarter point moves in the long end. So um, I think we we need to have perspective here with with the markets, you know, ripping to new highs. I think that, you know, there's a, um, I understand that the simplicity sometimes of, of thought is that, oh, the economy is getting better, buy stocks. The economy right. is doing bad, sell stocks. Well, if any any market veteran knows that there's, there's, there's it, it's not that easy because, uh, you know, it just, things just aren't that easy. And a lot of the uh, interplay is related to rates and monetary policy and so on. Uh, so 2020, Everyone celebrated low rates and celebrated what the Fed was doing, and and but now with rates rising, you know, I've heard this many times going back to the nineties. Oh, it's okay that rates are rising because it's rising for good reason, right? You know, when when you have uh, such interplay and sensitivity between stocks and interest rates, and the economy and interest rates and the economy and stocks, um, it's it's yeah, rates rise for good reason until it no longer is good reason and things start to 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 break and. We will head, and we we are going in that direction. Uh, we just haven't hit that yet. And now maybe we did temporarily at 177 in the 10 year, uh, and, and now we've obviously people are breathing the sigh of relief that we've backed off. But to me, this is just temporary. We priced in the easy comp inflation reads that we're going to see over the next couple of months, uh, and, and that's why the 10 year is probably going to stay contained here in a range of call it maybe one and a half, one and three quarters. But come June, July, August. When I believe that the inflation stats will still be printing three tenths, four tenths a month, proving that the rise is not transitory, well, that'll be the setup for another leg higher in rates. But again, that's not going to be for a couple of months. Yeah, but I mean, I think that term, makes a lot of sense. In the short term, stocks will transition to focusing on earnings, and uh, at least those companies that are in the manufacturing space will see to what extent they're sensitive to you know the whole supply chain upheaval and rising cost pressures and the inability to get parts and uh, having to pay for transportation and, and the, what that's going to do to profit margins. I mean, we saw uh, in, in the Nikkei Asian newspaper that Apple's having difficulty making enough Macs and iPads because they can't get enough parts. Uh, so that has an impact on earnings, which the stock market doesn't think it will, but uh, I think you're going to hear more about that in the coming month. You know, when you talk about impacts on earnings, immediately, uh, you know, I was going to go in another direction, but I immediately think of what I would call the corporate uh, tax grab, okay, because basically this is what's happening with the headlines. Uh, we know that the Biden administration is now receptive to uh, the concept of a global minimum tax, 
to uh, to stop tax avoidance by large multinationals. To me, what this means basically is 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 that if you're Google, you know, if you're Pfizer, uh, you know, you can't domicile in the Netherlands or or in Ireland or wherever it might be and think that you can avoid tax. There's going to be a minimum level, and so when we talk about a hit to earnings, there's the potential that we're in a situation where there's a paradigm shift in terms of how governments are thinking. They're thinking, we want to spend money in order to boost the economy, and we're not going to just deficit spend. We're actually going to uh, make sure that there's tax revenue to deal with that spending, and we're going to get it from somewhere, and that somewhere has to be the corporates. That seems like where we're going, both in the United States and elsewhere in Europe and the developed world. Do you think that that's actually where we're headed? And if so, what impact will that have on earnings? Yeah, we're, we're back to the old, same old tax and spend uh, philosophy. Uh, we know where that got us last time. I mean, the, 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 people have to understand that the, the multiplier effect of government spending is typically below one. So you get less for every dollar in return that you spend. So there, therefore, that's the basis for the debate about keeping that money in the private sector or handing it over to government. Here's an example. So for those that live in New York, the Tappan Zee Bridge, uh, they knocked it down and they built the Mario Cuomo Bridge. This bridge has cost $3.8 billion for a three-mile bridge. And the contractors are suing the state of New York for another $800 million because of cost overruns that they are not reimbursed for. So let's just say there's a sell. Let's just say it cost them the New York State four and a half billion dollars. Okay, four and a half billion dollars for a three-mile bridge where they could have taken a fraction of that money, and every year for the last 30 years focused on maintenance and fixing things that that broke. I mean. People that live in a house, you don't knock it down every 10, 15 years because you know things break. You hire somebody to fix it. So I'm giving this example uh, to point out the inefficiencies of a government spending when you hear about infrastructure. So the Obama uh, trillion dollar uh, so-called stimulus plan back in 2009 when things were shovel ready uh, – I live in New Jersey. There's a road called South Orange Avenue, and I would go down it every day to take the train into the city. And this road, which is many miles, uh, fell under this uh, American recovery and so on. I forgot the rest of, of what they called it. And the road was repaved. And then two years later, it needed to re be repaved again. Uh, you, that's not much return on your money. Uh, cities and states are repaving roads every day anyway. So again, I'm bringing this up to point out the, just the, the high inefficiency of a lot of this government spending. I'm not saying we don't spend it. I'm just saying that there are ways of doing this in a much more efficient way through maintenance rather than brand new construction. Uh, and you look at, look at, okay, look, let's look at airports. You cannot- Wait, By the way, you, you are forgetting one thing that with the Tappan Zee Bridge, it's probably worth at least a billion dollars that it's called the Mario Cuomo Bridge now. So you got that part of it there. Well, yeah, it cost four, it'll end up costing four and a half billion dollars for the Mario Cuomo Bridge, where it would have cost a fraction of that if you spread out maintenance and fixed it. 
uh, over the past bunch of years. Um, just as again, you're not knocking down your house every 10 years because you need a new roof. Uh, you just replace the roof. Uh, so airports, you can't go buy a stock in a U.S. airport. You can't. Ironically, the privatized airports or pro partially privatized airports are, are all outside the U.S. So when you hear a politician comparing U.S. infrastructure versus overseas, well, yes, the U.S. has some privatized toll roads and you can buy stock in companies that manage it. But it's outside the U.S. that has most of the privatized toll roads. You can buy stock in countless international airports, Sydney Airport, Zurich Airport, Vienna Airport, the Frankfurt Airport, Heathrow, uh, Beijing Airport, Shanghai Airport. You can buy air, uh, airports in Brazil, privatized airports. You can buy stock in, in Mexican airports. Well, when you have a, a profit motive, these airports tend to be uh, much more modernized and a lot nicer than many of the airports that we have in the U.S., but you won't have any conversation whatsoever on the concept of maybe privatizing some U.S. airports. It's yeah, just that can send them more money. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Very interesting. But, you know, it is that that is where we're headed uh, is we are headed. It seems to me uh, toward a situation where, uh, you know, at least to uh, to jumpstart the economy. The, the, the real question is, is how long is this period going to go on and how much is it going to impact uh corporations because you know if there's a tax grab to be had uh, you know given populism i don't think that the middle and the the working classes are going to bear the the brunt of that well to the to the concept of of janet yellen writing an editorial in the wall street journal today and 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 going around talking about a minimum corporate tax you really think ireland which lowered their corporate tax rate to 12 and a half percent to lure business is going to say, sure, Janet, we'll raise that up to 25% just as you want it. No freaking way. It, it, it's complete nonsense. It, it, it's our way of, of trying to, I, I mean, so this is our idea of competition. Raise our tax and hope everyone joins us rather than keeping our taxes low and better competing against everybody else. It, it's completely backwards. Well, let me ask you, uh, I have two other issues uh, that are market related uh, that I'm thinking about. One is margin debt. I think I sent you uh, a, a thing from uh, from the Wall Street Journal about you look at three different periods uh, that are comparable. One today in terms of the amount of margin debt increase that we've had vis-a-vis -vis the previous year. And the other two periods that are comparable are 2007 and 1999. And we know that both of those periods preceded very difficult times in the market. Are you concerned at all as you think of, yes, the, the economy is booming, but wait a minute, hold on. Uh, are you concerned that this, this margin debt is sort of fodder for potential uh, market correction? So it's important to look at margin debt, not in itself, because it's just an absolute dollar number, but looking at it 
compared to the market cap of, of the stock market or looking at it relative to GDP. Relative to GDP, yes, it's at a record high. But you can draw a chart with margin debt overlaying the S&P, and they pretty much follow each other. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that will be a problem, and it will matter when it does. Obviously, it mattered for that uh, you know, hedge fund of the last couple weeks that owned you know, Viacom and Discovery and others, uh, where they got obviously way over their skis. So yeah, it'll matter when it does. It'll, it'll, it helps to exaggerate the move to the upside, and it'll exaggerate the move to the downside. Uh, just a question of, of what the trigger points are uh, for a, a, a change. But I mean, that, that's what you get when there's a, another search for yield and money's cheap and people ride the momentum and, and, and this is what you get. I mean, the you know, central bankers are the bartenders behind the bar and gets everyone drunk and, and some people can make it home safe and, and other people can't and they get themselves into an accident. Yeah. And, you know, I, a lot of people are talking about this now. I think Scott Minard, uh, uh, he's talking about this. Um, I see some other bond investors who are talking about the VIX, the low volatility that we have uh, right now, and that even though we're about to go into a potential boom, that uh, the the level, the increase in the speculative nature, SPACs as an example, that's all telling you that we're in a in a frenzied sort of uh, market environment. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the potential for a, a correction, even though we're about to go into uh, a potential boom? Well, look at the, the S&P is 20% above where it was in February 2020. We've already, we've already priced in a lot of, of, of good news. We've already priced in a 2022 earnings recovery because Earnings in 2020 are not going to be that much higher than where they were in 2019. So, um, some some context and perspective here, uh, I, I think, is is important uh, of where the market is today relative to where it was before anybody knew what COVID was. So, as the the sort of last thing to say, what do you do in that case? I mean, asset allocation wise, what we're talking about, we're talking about a, a an economy where interest rates may be taking a pause, where we could see a higher inflation numbers two or three months from now. And we've already baked in a lot of the gains in the equity market. How does one position oneself in that environment? I, I think from a, a trading slash investing standpoint with stocks, in my opinion, people have two choices to be successful right now. This is a great, when you see a rotational market like this, it's a great trading market. So for short-term traders, I think this is a good environment. I think for, I'm more of a, a long-term investor, which allows me to, yeah, focus on the day-to-day, -day, talk the macro day-to-day, -day, but having longer-term themes that helps me block out a lot of the short-term rotational noise. I think if, if your style, trading style is anywhere in between, this is a difficult market. It's like a it's a maddening market. Uh, so I would stay on a sort of either side of that as being having a very short term time horizon or having much longer time horizon again because everything in between we're churning to such an extent. You know, notwithstanding the headline indices, because underneath you know that's the decline line topped out already. Uh, underneath there's a lot more chop, and uh, I expect to. That 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 chop to continue, 
notwithstanding the possibility of, of a correction here and there. I mean, you look at the sentiment numbers this week, you have in the AAII numbers today, you have bulls at the highest level since the first week of January, you know, a few weeks before the Vomageddon blow up happened. Uh, you have bears at the lowest since uh, 2019. In the investors' intelligence numbers, we saw Wednesday of bulls back above 60, which I consider extreme. It's spread to bears is now back above 40 with bears in the 16 range. Uh, you look at daily sentiment index. You look at the relative strength index. I know you had Tom Thornton on yesterday. He talked about the DeMarks, uh, the VIX at 17. You have daily sentiment index and the VIX very low. So you are set up for uh, a pullback here with, with all these different things. You know, I just don't know if it happens tomorrow or it happens in two weeks. And you, as someone who is long-term bullish, uh, at least for the the next uh, three quarters, is that uh, is that a a pullback that you uh, buy the dip on, or is it something that you think uh, still, you know, ten percent down, we're still actually ten percent above where we were in February two thousand twenty? Well, I'm bullish on the economy the next three quarters. My, my concern is that inflation and interest rates uh, are going to surprise to the upside, which then you transition to the possibility of taper talk uh, late summer. And that's going to create a real difficulty for, for equities, I believe, irrespective of, of the underlying economy. So yeah, I'm bullish on the economy. I'm much more suspect on, on markets here for, for those reasons stated. That said, I'm still long. I'm still, uh, but long focused more on precious metals and and energy stocks and agriculture stocks and uranium and international markets that I think are cheaper and much more attractive and have uh, a better secular stories than you know many overvalued U.S. stocks and I'm in value stocks. So I'm sort of sticking with my allocation in in, in those areas. At the same time, owning some tips and 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 having some cash as dry powder, but knowing that. This is not going to be uh, an easy ride because, you know, as I've said with you before, I really believe that we are we have entered into a new interest rate regime. Even though, again, rates are still low on an absolute level, I get it, but the rate of change is something worth of note, and that we're potentially in a new inflation regime—not high inflation, but higher inflation. I mean, we have to understand that the bond market now. If if yields were two, two and a half, three percent in the ten-year. That, that is that is that is a, a level of rates that can better absorb any readings of inflation that's persistently two and a half, three, three and a half percent. But because rates are so low around the world, we're not positioned for any upside surprises in inflation. We're not positioned for two and a half to three percent, where his, looking back 30 years, we would have loved two and a half, three percent inflation, you know, considering where we came from in the late 70s. So you combine higher inflation possibilities with extraordinarily low interest rates, it's just that's just not the, a good combination. And a market that's trading at 23 times this year, 20 times 2022, um, you know, there's no room for error. Yeah, well said, Peter. So I, I hate to leave it on that sour note, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, buyer beware. I, I think I like to say that that. When you, as you tell a kid, just be aware of your surroundings when they're going out at night. Uh, any investor always has to be aware of their investing surroundings, and that comes to you know that re relates to the sentiment, valuations, the rates market, because we know how intertwined the equities are, 
with rates and monetary policy and so on. And just we just have to be uh, just aware of, of our investing surroundings and, and understand that uh, investing is not always so easy. Yeah, so let's let's uh, talk in, in two more weeks, uh, see where we are then and, uh, and, and go from there. Sounds good. Thank you, Ed. Thanks again. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.